WNYC. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the boxed in episode. My name is Glenn Washington, and every once in a while, we like to let you know what we're listening to. And there's this podcast called Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC that we are digging. And they talk about those things death, sex, money, and a bunch of other stuff. And as such, please note this piece does have some explicit content. So probably not a great idea for the youngsters. One day, the host of that show, Anna Sale, she got an email from a sex worker who wanted to explain why she does the work she does and why she feels fine making money the way that she does. This woman agreed to talk about her work if her voice were changed. She also uses a fake name. This is Anna. Hi. So I'm calling you Emma. Yes, thank you. This was the first of several conversations between Emma and me over a series of months. Emma got into sex work after a divorce left her broke, and she had kids to raise. I had a lot of savings, and that basically all got used up. Emma had a job, but she wasn't bringing in enough. Then she met a woman who told her about a way to earn a lot more money. She first told me she did sensual massage. I had no idea what she was talking about. And she told me, you know, she really opened up to me and shared her story with me, which was very similar. Um, Had been married for 20 years, was going through a divorce, three kids. And she let me know how much money she made the first year. And and I, it just, this was at a literally a time where Within a month, I was not going to have any money. How much did she tell you she had made? Oh, I think she made um, she made somewhere between one hundred fifty and two hundred thousand her first year working. And that's doing sensual massage. Yeah. Like what is what does that mean? Well, it's not it's not full service. It's not um, it doesn't involve intercourse. No intercourse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's massage that's very sensual. How long did you have to think about it to decide that this is something you were willing to do? Uh, not very long. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm just, you know, I can make, I just knew I had to do it. And it was a solution to my dilemma. Um, this woman was really wonderful. She talked to me a lot about it, and she invited me to come in and watch a session. And um, then this person that I watched offered to be a client and let me just try a session. And so, you know, I kind of just kept doing, just kind of slowly getting in there and seeing how it felt and making sure that I could do it. And, um, yeah, and, and I could. Now Emma has a regular stable of clients. She doesn't have to see anyone she doesn't know. They're mostly men, and they meet her at this place that she rents out for work. Yeah, it's in an area where there are just a lot of people coming and going and not really paying attention to each other. Um, It feels really safe. So what are your your boundaries? How do you describe that to a client? I, I, I try and protect myself from and you can hear even with the words I use what it's like for me you know some of my own personal my private areas I really would prefer that they just stayed for me 
and um, uh, that can be difficult. Though that's a hard boundary sometimes to keep. So you like to, give I like and to not, give. And not be. I like to touch. Yeah, yeah, and not to. I mean, I, I love receiving massage, but I, you know, talking about sexually, I don't really like to be mm-hmm. sexually touched by other people other than my partner. Um, yeah, that's a really. Um, I imagine that can get really um, potentially uncomfortable when you're thinking about, am I consenting to what's happening right now? It, um, you know, this is hard for me to say because I don't want to be speaking for all sex workers. But um, for me, um, personally, that part of it, I feel a little bit like I'm violating myself. Because I am giving permission. I always give permission. I am never forced to do anything that I don't want to do. I make the choice myself. And there are times when I choose to let things happen to my body that I feel like I'm violating myself. That's, that's the hard part. That's the really hard part. And when it's mixed with money, I mean, I, I'm assuming that if— if you're going further than what you anticipated, does that does that usually lead to more money? No, not directly. Not 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 in that. Um, oh, now I'm going to get more money today. Um, it's more part of the relationship. How much does it cost? I don't know if I'm comfortable sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this, okay? I'm, um, I, I don't make anything like that woman that I told you about who I met in the beginning. I just do enough to get by. And then I have other work that I do that doesn't, you know, it's like piddly money. So, you know, you're, you're very aware that your clients are in relationships. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, their partners don't know that they're there with you. Mm-hmm. How do you yeah. feel about that? Sad. Really sad. I talk to my clients about, you know, this may sound awful, but sometimes they will open up to me and I'll, co- I'll coach them on, well, you know, what, do you, what would you like your relationship to be like? And so many of my clients are coming to me and for one reason or another, they're in a relationship where, they're not getting physical intimacy. Nobody hugs them. Nobody touches them. Nobody looks at them and says, you're amazing. And I get to do that. I get to give that to those people, and I love that. Are you still doing it for the money? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't do it for any other reason. You're in a relationship? Mm-hmm. What's been hard in your relationship I think the hardest thing is just that there are things that I'm doing as part of my work that are not authentic to me and that hurt me. And so I bring that home. I come home sometimes, and I'm vulnerable and weak. I might have some physical aversions. Like It, it may take me a little while to want to be physically intimate. Has he asked you to stop? No. No, he would never ask me to stop. But the next morning, Emma left us this voicemail. This morning, my partner held me while I cried and confessed all my fears. 
This morning he asked me to cancel all my appointments this week. He's worried I'm getting too fragile, that it's getting to be too much. After we recorded our first interview, Emma had a tough night. She was nervous about what she'd shared and haunted about what she'd left out. She sent us a long email, then called and read it over a voicemail, too. This is what I wish I had shared. I'm afraid. I'm afraid because what I do is illegal and because I have no voice. I can't reach out for support. I'm afraid of being caught by law enforcement. Why did I minimize that with you? I'm afraid of it every day. I'm afraid of having to defend myself, of being put in jail, of losing my children and my ability to support my family, my home, and my freedom. I'm afraid of being physically hurt or killed. I'm afraid of running into someone I know or the family of someone I know being found out, turned in, stalked. Again, having my family impacted and losing everything that matters to me. I'm afraid of my clients finding out about the part that's fake. And I don't enjoy it all, but sometimes I'm grimacing, sneaking peeks at the clock. I'm afraid that someday I will forget to hold my tongue and shout stop. What happened afterwards for you? Well, I didn't sleep that night at all. This is Emma, a few months after we recorded our first conversation. And um, I finally got up at, what was it, like three or four in the morning. I got out of bed and I got on my computer and I started writing. And I wrote you uh, that letter. And, you know, I'd been working consistently for about six months, almost you know, almost every day. So it was just a long time. I'd never gone that long without taking a break. And then just after talking to you, I just realized how much it was wearing on me, how much I needed to get away from it. And um, and I just felt sick. Emma told me she canceled all her appointments, and she took some time off from sex work, almost three months. It was really hard. And I, I wanted to, and yet I'm thinking about my rent. It's a big deal to just walk away from that. But um, it felt really good every day to just not wake up with that, just that knowledge that I was going to go have an appointment. I came back. I mean, I did have it kind of scheduled, planned in my head of when it would happen. And, and so it was just time because that was it. I, there's no way I'm dipping into my real savings that I have, you know, over the last few years. I'm not, I will not dip into that. Is that the, the how I'm going to stop doing sex work savings? Um, no, I, I think it's the emergency savings. It's if something happens where I have to stop, if I end up, you know, if I get injured and I have to, and I have, and I have no cushion, then what am I going to do? I'm going to end up on the street. And um, so this is a job. Why does anybody work at Walmart? It'd be great if we could all work specifically and only at something that we loved and we're truly passionate about. And I think if you're young and you don't have kids, this is a great time to make that happen for yourself. But I didn't do that. I didn't make, I didn't create that career when I was 21. I actually got pregnant when I was 21. How did your first day back feel? It was actually really easy. Did you have any different boundaries 
after you went back? No, no. Um, I was, I've probably maybe a little bit less. My boundaries might have opened up a little really? bit. Yeah, just because towards the end there, I was just so tired and protective. And, um, but I was definitely more open and more um, just kind of you know, certain ways that I wasn't allowing people to touch me anymore that, that I was, you know, was okay with. That you're okay with now? Yeah, I don't know how long that's going to last. <laughs> yeah. Have you had any of those feelings of dread since going back? Yeah. Oh, you know, it's it's hard to share these things because I can see somebody listening and, and like, why would you do this thing when you have dread? And even I think about other sex workers listening to this and and that's kind of one of my fears. Another fear with this interview is to have sex workers listening to me and getting mad at me, too, for representing the, the downside, the hard parts. But, yeah, honestly, if I didn't, have, if I didn't choose to do it, if I, if I wasn't doing it, I'd, be, I, I'd just have happy days every day that I know that I'm going to go see somebody, I have some dread. It's usually before, you know, once I'm kind of getting, once I open that door and I go into my routine, that that goes away. And by about, probably within about five hours of coming home from my first session, I started to feel kind of sick. And, And now I'm looking at another probably four or five months at least before I have a break. How am I going to do this every day? Do you have a, a dollar amount that you want to have in the bank before you stop? Is there is there a goal set? I probably need to be able to make about eighty thousand a year, maybe ninety before taxes, um, in order to pay my basic expenses and maybe and be able to save a little bit. If I had if I had enough money to go back to school, like to get a master's. I would really like to get a master's or a PhD in um, in psychology or social work. And if I had enough money to do that, and I had enough money <laughs> to live for the amount of time that it would take to do that, I would definitely stop. And and Emma, I just want to kind of hear you in your your own words, or say like, why did you decide to talk to me? <sighs> I think. Because I feel so alone, um, one of the things that's really hard is not being able to talk to anybody. And I'm, you know, I'm a mom. I'm around other women, and everybody talks about their challenges, the things that are hard in their life, and things that are going well. And I just have this big secret that I can't tell anybody. And I think people need to know because there's a lot of people like me. I'm, I'm right there, and you just don't know. So that's why.
Snappus, I'm here with Anna Sale, who produced that piece. And Anna, you have an update on the story. Yeah, this episode uh, first aired about a year and a half ago, and I just talked to Emma this week, and she is now officially retired from sex work. What does that mean, retired? She's not doing it anymore. She figured out that she had enough money and savings to only do the work that she was doing that wasn't sex work part-time, and she's now back in school. She got a scholarship and realized she had enough money to take the leap. Permanently? Permanently out of sex work? Yeah. I think so. I think she she looks back on it as something that she's glad she was able to do when she was in a financial emergency. But she said talking to us helped her realize it wasn't something that she felt good doing anymore. Um, so once she had the money to stop doing it, she's ready to do it. When she told you that I'm retiring, how did she sound? How did she... What was her demeanor when she told you that? It it was really remarkable because what I remember about this interview is how heavy she felt. Like she was in a place where she wanted to get out and didn't know how. And talking to her now, a year and a half later, she sounds happy and light and like she was finally able to make a decision that time had come. Wow. Yeah. Who do we have to thank for this piece? I worked with Katie Bishop and Emily Botin on the Death, Sex, and Money team, and Andrew Dunn mixed it. Right on. So this is by Death, Sex, and Money's Anna Sale, who's in the studio with us today. Anna Sale, thank you so much for sharing this piece with us. Thank you. Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. You can check it out wherever you get your podcasts.